because maybe I don't even know I have it. I may be asymptomatic, don't know. But I think that's what we have to really, we have to start doing that mind shift a lot faster now, especially as you said, with the state starting to open up and things starting to quote unquote feel normal, but not really. You're listening to the Leverage Your Incredible Factor podcast with Danielle Jervy Harmon, the place to be to leverage and scale a business that serves you financially and spiritually. I'm your host, spiritual business growth strategist, Danielle J. Harmon. Join me each week for inspiring stories, powerful interviews, and business growth strategy to help you experience abundance in your life because of your business. If you are ready to play and pray bigger, Let's get this party started. If this is your first time joining me, there's just a few things I want to make sure that you know. Number one, I am not new to this. I am true to this. For more than 10 years, I have been growing businesses, period. I am the absolute best at combining spiritual principles with business growth strategy to turn entrepreneurs into multiple six and seven figure CEOs. And no, in case you were wondering, you do not have to choose. You can love God and make both loads of money. And I'm on a mission to create even more multiple six and seven figure CEOs. Oh, and we don't do hustle and grind. We do spirituality and systems. You might be wondering exactly what the incredible factor is. And if that's you, I invite you to go all the way back to our very first episode. I even give you a really powerful worksheet that you can download so that you can find yours because it is the key to beginning to leverage and scale your business. And I am tickle purple that you are listening in today. This episode is powered by Shatter Your Income Ceiling. If you are a service-based entrepreneur who is tired of racking your brain as to why you are stuck in your business and you really want to remove the limits, then stop what you're doing right now and go to partnerwithdarnielle.com to learn more about our private training where we literally share the framework that our clients are using to have their best months ever. I'm talking about 30 to $100,000 months in their business. And the best part is you can too. Partnerwithdarnielle.com. In today's episode, I have the pleasure of introducing to some and presenting to others, Dr. Tina M. Session. Listen, I actually interviewed Dr. Tina last year and I could not, for whatever reason, put her interview on the podcast. And I'm so glad that I saved her. You know, sometimes you just, you know, you force it and you know it's not right. I'm so glad that I just was obedient to what I was feeling in my spirit and that I did not release her episode because I'm really excited to share it with you now. We have such a powerful conversation about the importance of standing in your power. And after the year we all had, and as this new year is starting, there's never been a more important time to make sure that you are standing in your power. Dr. Tana M. Session is the CEO and founder of TanaMSession.com, a certified women minority business enterprise with over 20 years of human resources experience. Dr. Session specializes in cultural engineering, facilitated experiences, and leadership and organizational development. She has spent 10 years at the top human resources executive as a top human resources executive for both domestic and international organizations, where she led various change initiatives and up-leveled entire departments, including talent, systems, and infrastructure. I mean, that's all code for the girl is bad. 
She has partnered with high-tech startups and fast-growing companies such as McDonald's, Topa Insurance Group, Thermo, Fisher Scientific, Xerox, Cognizant, and many other national for-profit and not-for-profit companies. Her experience has enabled her to embed her passion for diversity, equality, and inclusion in everything she develops and implements. Tana was recently recognized as a top company culture consultant by found.com and Huffington Post top female expert to follow. And she received an honorary doctorate degree in philosophy and human, humane letters. She is an official LinkedIn learning expert for diversity and inclusion in recruiting and interviewing and was also recognized by Forbes. Listen, you already heard me say the girl is bad, bad to the bone. We have such a powerful conversation. There are so many nuggets, like literally, let me count the pages. One, two, three. Yeah, I've got like three pages full of notes. That's how bad this girl is and how amazing our conversation is. She's really gonna share some insight into how you, regardless of whether you are an entrepreneur or an employee in an organization, working from home, trying to figure out how to navigate everything that's going on in the world today, how you, even in all that's going on, can stand in your power. I know that this conversation is going to be super, super powerful for you, and there are going to be nuggets you can take away. So let's stop what we're doing right now and jump into my conversation with Dr. Tana M. Session. Dr. Tana, oh, I'm so excited to welcome you to the Leverage Your Incredible Factor business podcast. I'm so excited that you are here. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yes. So take a moment and just tell everybody who you are in your own words. Sure. So I am Dr. Tana M. Session. I am an organizational strategist, a consultant, a coach, and an international speaker. And I'm also a five-time author. So a little busy over here. And, okay, what she didn't say is she's also like an amateur bodybuilder because she stays in the gym. Like, I... I don't know how she has time to do all these things she's talking about. Because every time I see her on social media, she just worked out, about to work out, about to go with her man to a workout, leaving the beach. Yep. Like, she's living her best life, which is what I love. Yes. I love that. And I know, you know the, the life that you have today, it looks amazing. It is amazing because you are amazing. But it didn't start out that way, right? No, not by any means. I do not look like my story. That's for sure. <laughs> that could preach all by yourself. <laughs> right. So and I'm sure that's the case it. for a lot of people. Yeah. Yes. Tell us about it. I mean, I was reading about you and I think my chin was on the floor the whole time. Because even though we've had a couple of conversations, mm-hmm. I didn't know some of this yeah. stuff. So so tell everybody, what, sure. what is your story? What's your background? Where do you come from? That type of thing. Sure. So I was born to teenage unwed parents and as a result, went immediately into the foster care system. So from birth until about almost four years old, I was raised by a white foster family (laughs) who took me in in New York. I was born in New York and I stayed with them until I was actually reunited with my maternal grandfather. So when my mother got pregnant, he was a single parent. He had, you know, four kids to take care of and taking in another baby really wasn't an option. So he actually got remarried later in life. And as a result, decided to move his younger children from New York to South Carolina. And although I had an older brother and a younger brother, I was the middle child. I was the only one that went into foster care. My older brother was adopted by my mom's godparents because they couldn't have children. Mm. And my younger brother was taken in by his father and his father's mother. So they raised him. 
my grandfather didn't want to leave me in the system because he knew that my mom and my dad was still out doing young, crazy stuff. And he said, look, if you'll give me, uh, let me adopt Tana, I want to take her with us to South Carolina. My mother said, no, you can't adopt her. I'll let you get guardianship of her. Mm. And so he did. And as a result, I moved to South Carolina when I was almost four years old with people that I really didn't know. Uh, and, you know, that's my family. I've been raised with aunts and uncles that are more like brothers and sisters to this day. And, um, you know, spent that time in South Carolina. Eventually, my mother did move there as well. Um, <clears throat> now, one of the things I do share with people when I was in foster care, um, I was molested by my foster brother. So that's something I have a very, very vivid memory of and shared that with my grandfather at a young age in the words that I knew at the time of how to explain yeah. it. And his feedback was, don't worry, you never have to see them again. Not really realizing how that would play out in my life yeah. throughout my, my years. Um, but it did come back multiple times. Again, just not recognizing it. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of where I started was there. And eventually my mother moved to South Carolina and you know, I was one of those kids that was, you know, the only kid in school that didn't really have a mom or a dad around. I was raised with grandparents. So, you know, a little mockery there from the other kids that didn't really understand the makeup of the family. I never shared with anyone anything about my past, you know, until five years ago. So people who've known me since I was in middle school, elementary school, never knew this side of my story. Wow. And I, you know, was picked on because I didn't have parents. And so when my mom finally decided to move to South Carolina, I was all excited and I tell people the story when she came to town, I remember my grandfather went to pick her up from the bus station because she took a one-way Greyhound mm -hmm. and I was in the yard and all excited when the car pulled up in the driveway, he pulls in and I'm like almost trying to yank the door open and he's like putting his hand up like, wait a minute, Tana, wait, wait. And so my mom comes out the car and I'm like, mommy. And I'm like, you know, first time I could call someone mommy, right? And I remember her leaning down to like, you know, my eye level and she had her arms out and she said, you can call me Denise. Wow. And I called her Denise ever since. Wow. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the kind of relationship we had. Wow. <laughs> she never really was ready to be a mom. Mm -hmm. Wow. Uh, I feel like I just got smacked in the face. Always happen. Trying to be on. Ugh, now I'm going to have to edit. Um, but I, 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 I resonate a lot with your story in different ways. I was, you know, I was born to my parents. My mom didn't know she was pregnant, so she was getting high and then I ended up coming. But when I was eight, my mom's home was raided and she went to jail during my eighth birthday party. Oh. And so then I was raised by my dad and my stepmom and my stepmom didn't want us. And so I would hear her on the phone talking to her mother, probably three out of five days in a week saying, I just wish Bob, our genie would come and get these kids. Wow. This is not what I envisioned. And so not quite the, you can call me Denise, yeah. but definitely feeling that sentiment of where do I belong? Who wants me? Mm -hmm. Who cares for me? Which, you know, ended up sending me down the, the path and the spiral into all of the things I happen to get into. But this ain't about me. This is about you. So we're going to leave that for another solo episode of the podcast. Okay. Um, but, I, but I think that, you know, I, I think our story does two things. It can either hold us back or it will definitely hold us back if we keep telling the story, but it can also propel us into our destiny. Yeah. And what I love about how I've seen you work just in the short amount of time that I've known who you were, right? So it's been like maybe six or seven months since I've even known that there was a yeah. Dr. Tana M. session out in the world. 
But just what I've seen about your your work ethic and the way you show up, I love your voicemail. Like every time I think about when I've called you, I just I love what you are doing, and I love that you have figured out how to use your story as your stepping stone so that you can help other people aspire to their level of you know greatness or whatever word we want to insert there. I love that. I love that about you. And so I just want to say I honor you and I celebrate you for that because not everyone can go through what you've been through and be on this side of it at, as a, a voice and a and a powerful stature of confidence. And, and I don't know this to be true, but I just, I'm assuming it because of even your energy right now is like you said, you, you don't look like what you've been through, but you're also not holding anybody accountable and responsible for what you've been through. Like you've done your work, which I love too. And, and I think that that is such an important lesson for us to learn. One of the um, interviews that I was doing early talking about COVID-19 and you know, reassimilating into the world. And she said, there's basically three responses. People are either going to be in denial that COVID came, went, did anything good, or they're going to feel like a victim or they're going to learn how to innovate. And so what I feel like I have seen you do again in the short amount of time that I know you, but learning and unpacking your story is that you've taken the stance of innovation and you figured out how to um, reinvent yourself and to allow yourself to show up more powerfully, which I imagine impacts your work. Yeah, definitely. And thank you for that. I appreciate it. No, you're spot on. I think, you know, I learned, and like I said, I never really shared my story until five years ago. And it was because I was coming from a place of embarrassment. I didn't want people to judge me, take pity on me. And I had a mentor, um, that I worked with from very early on in my career and she was one of the first people to reach out to me and said, Tana, I've known you since you were 20 years old. I've never known this about you. Why didn't you tell me? And so when I shared it with her and, and the reasons why, she was like, oh, I wouldn't have judged you. And I said, well, I didn't know. I said, but now I stand in the power of not only not worrying about being judged, but yeah. also knowing that my story, like similar to you, like it resonates with people yeah. and they have their own story that it, it almost frees them to be able to stand in their truth not worry about judgment and be able to move on from there because yeah, it does hold you captive. Um, You know, it held me captive in relationships because my triggers were rejection. And whenever I felt that someone uh, wasn't giving me the kind of love I was giving them. Mm -hmm. So I used to tell people I was the worst person to break up with. (laughs) I was very vengeful. Listen, we might be sisters from another mister in that regard, honey. Listen. I was very vengeful, very vengeful because that, that sense of rejection and why don't you want me? Right. And that was a trigger. And I, like I said, until you know that story and how it shows up in patterns and different ways in your life, then you don't even know how to get out of your own way. Right. And once I figured that out five years ago, it was like lightning bolt. Okay. Lightning in a bottle is released now. I'm good. Let's go. Nothing can hold me back now. Yeah. (laughs) But it's it's so important what you just said. So I just want to underscore that for people who are Mm -hmm. listening, because I know some of the women that listen to this podcast that, you know, they may not look like what they've been through, but some of them are still living what they've been through because they haven't done the work. They haven't taken the time to release and forgive You know, I talk a lot about the power of forgiveness and forgiveness, you know, it's cliche, but it's not for them. It's for you. It's so that you don't miss everything that God wants to do for you in your life because you're hell bent on holding somebody else responsible because you're the victim. And so I I think that the shift that needs to occur 
is, you know, moving from victim to victor and, and how to be able to use it. And so I love what you just said about standing in the power, standing in the power that is Tana, yeah. right? Like no matter who tried to knock you out, break you down, you are here and you are back. I mean, listen, I wish most of you listening to this on the podcast, you won't even be able to see how gorgeous this woman is. <laughs> but I invite you to go look her up and just see the glamazon that she is, okay? Because the chick is back. Listen, I think what I was saying was when we figure out how to make that shift and to stand in the power that is all that we are, that is when the magic, if there is a thing as called magic really starts to happen. And so when I think about the work that you do in organizational development and helping individual leaders as well as organizations really shift and thrive, I know in the face of what's been going on in this age of COVID-19, you've been busy. I know that you have to have been busy because organizations (laughs) are shook right now, right? So I want to talk about that moniker, and I think that's what I'm going to call this episode, standing in the power. I love that. Mm. And so can we talk a little bit about what it means in the face of COVID-19 to stand in the power of who you are, who your organization is, who your company is? And then I, I think I want to have you help to walk us through some steps of what it will look like to maybe if I fell over a little bit in my power, I'm wobbling in my power to actually be able to stand flat footed knowing that I know that I know that who I am right now is who I'm supposed to be in this season is for me, is for my good. So let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, you're right. I'm definitely busy. So my background's in HR. I've been in it for over 25 years. I've held every position from administrative assistant to chief human resource officer. Um, so the work that I do now is as a consultant is going into organizations to help them with cultural awareness, um, you know, big HR projects that maybe they want to roll out, definitely anything to do with diversity and inclusion, mm-hmm. uh, the multi-generational workforce. So the way organizations responded to COVID um, was varied, depending on the industry, depending on kind of where they were, with their abilities to get employees out of the office and get them up and running at home. What I've seen and what I've respected are the ones that have been very agile and adapted quickly in spite of not having everything in order. So there are several companies that feel, and I've sat next to these executives, where they feel that if you're not in the office, you're not working. Mm-hmm. Huge mind shift has happened over these last 10 plus weeks now, where they're like, you know what? Not only is this working, and are they, they're online, they're doing more now because they don't have to commute, they're at home. Uh, the kids are home with them. But in addition to that, we're also seeing the fact that we don't necessarily have to have all the space that we thought we needed to have. Yeah. And oh, by the way, because of COVID, if you don't have your employees six feet apart in a lot of cities, you can't even come back to the workplace right. because that's a CDC guideline. So a lot of companies now are looking at reducing their footprint. And there have been several examples of companies that have given up space already. Mm-hmm. So we're going to see this roll out and continue to impact the, um, the workforce and also just the industry at large in terms of real estate, commercial real estate, yeah. probably for the next year or two. Yeah. Because all all of this new inventories, yeah, all these yeah. twenty, you know, all now, all this new inventory is start, starting to hit the market because companies are realizing, like, oh, employees been complaining about work-life balance. Guess what? Check. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the millennials and the Gen Zs, they didn't want to have to come into the office every day because they felt if I have technology, why do I need to be here? Right. Uh, check. Now, oh, <laughs> guess what? We were trying to hire within a 50 mile radius, but now we can hire within a 50 state radius right. because we don't have to have people relocate. We don't have to have them in the office. They could work remotely. Oh, now 
my talent pipeline has gotten that much wider and bigger. I can recruit from people from Wisconsin, even though I'm in California and I don't have to pay them California wages. How about those apples? So they're really having a different mindset right now around this. So COVID is really innovating the workplace. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think it's, I say that, first of all, I think this is the best thing that could have ever happened to us. I think that it's, I'm calling it a a universal timeout. God put a flag on the play and was like, okay, I've had enough. (laughs) We're going to shut everything down so that you guys can get the picture of what this is supposed to be all about. And so everybody who is, as you said, agile and nimble is kind of going with the flow and creating that new normal and realizing that everything we thought we needed, we don't really need and opening us up to a new appreciation for what many of the things that we used to curse and be frustrated over that we don't even need those things in order to perform and and exceed. I, I was having a conversation with a girlfriend who works in corporate America and she's in leadership. And she was like, I think it's hilarious how, you know, we were, we were not going to allow people to work for home from home for years because of the, if you're not in the office, you're not working mindset. And now because we've been forced to do this, we realize that our results have increased by an incremental 23% is what she said. And I'm like, that's crazy. Yeah. They that's found out they were wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, I think it's great for, for us as a nation to realize that we were wrong and the way we thought things need to be done. Like I'll even use myself as an example. You know, we were talking about this before we started recording my live event. I had to move it till October and, you know, and I could not fathom how I could do my live event virtually. (laughs) Well, last week we did a mini version of it just to test it out and see, listen, Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'll ever do a live, live event again. (laughs) Like who knows? But I now realize that I didn't have to kill my business's livelihood livelihood because we can't be in proximity to one another. I can still transform people in a virtual environment. And that's exactly. huge to be able to come into that realization. You know yeah. what I mean? So, so no, this you're is really, really good. Mm-hmm. You're spot on. I said it was definitely the same thing you said, a blessing in disguise. I said the whole world needed a, a pause button and he hit the pause. Yeah. Whoever your he is or she is, they right. hit the pause <laughs> and it, it hit it globally. And I said, really, in a lot of ways, it also leveled the playing field. It did. Because it now, did. yeah, now think about who are considered essential workers and right. think about who is considered front line. Right. Okay, so all of those people that were sitting in the corner offices, not so much. Guess what? Right. We don't even need you in the office. What we need are people who can deliver groceries, people who can keep the store shelves shocked, people that can uh, make our food, yeah. right? And take care of people who are ill. Those are the people that we're moving to the front of the line now. So remember the lesser of us, right? Yeah. That's, that's, we're living in that right now. Absolutely. And I think even in addition to that, it, we're all the same, right? Whether, yes. you know, Oprah and Gail, they're having a conversation over Zoom right now too. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's not just for the little people. It's for all the people. Everybody is is equal and everybody is trying to manage and navigate how to continue to experience the best that life has to offer even right. in this current environment, which I think is so powerful. So now that we have states that are starting to open up and states will continue to follow suit and we'll move into phase two of COVID-19 and, and all of those different things, how, how will leaders, especially, and, and, I, and I'm for you, because I know your work is primarily in the corporate vein, although I know you work with some individuals as well, mm-hmm. like how will leaders assimilate, like what will they need to be prepared for 
as we as things move back to whatever the new normal is going to be, whatever the new guidelines and stipulations are going to be, how will that impact leadership moving forward? I think the first thing they're going to have to look at, and I've been talking to my clients about this, is what is their community going to look like? Mm-hmm. Because a lot of employees are going to come back. They're anxious. A lot of them are anxious to get back into the office or get back into the store or get back into the restaurant because that's their that's their comfort zone. That's That was part of their routine. Well, that's been upended unexpectedly for an extended period of time. Yeah. They're hoping to come back to exactly what was there before, and it's not. It's not, it's, it's not possible. So I think that leaders really need to start communicating and being transparent very early on mm-hmm. about what they should expect when they return to the workplace. Like, we might have plexiglass. You may not be sitting shoulder to shoulder. It may be every other desk. You may even see a new format of how the office is set up when you come. Oh, by the way, we may not any longer have, uh, you know, free coffee or beverages or free donuts or bagels because we can't. We have to minimize the contact that people have and, and touching surfaces. And oh, you're going to see people coming around cleaning. You might see people with masks all day long. Um, so they need to just let them prepare mentally and more so emotionally about what to expect when they go back in there. So for leaders, it's about them first getting on that curve faster than anyone else. Mm -hmm. And then speaking in a level of confidence of although our community is going to look different, we still have a sense of community. And this is what our culture is going to look and feel like going forward. Yes, it's going to feel a little sterile and strange in the beginning, but we're still going to celebrate birthdays or we're still going to, you know, honor people's anniversaries, you know, those types of touch points that, that help people feel part of a community and be engaged. Yeah, that's so good. I just want to pull back what you said just to make sure, in in case anyone missed it, some really good things. So the first question leaders will need to ask themselves, and those of you who are entrepreneurs and small business that have your own employees, like I have have five employees, but I have one who is physically in the same office space with me. We do have more than six feet apart. We have actually, we each have our own office, but these are considerations and things you have to think about. So the question is, what will my community look like? And so as the leader, you're going to need to be prepared of how you're going to determine the differences and then communicate those differences to the people that you work with while setting expectations and eliminating some of the anxiety that's going to come along with it. Like the one thing that Dr. Tina didn't say that we, we know is very real is that some people are going to go back to work and their co-workers aren't coming back because they succumb to the virus, right? That's a very real possibility for the however many tens of thousands of people who've lost their lives during this pandemic. And so we know we need to be cognizant of that. And so I love what you said. You said, we're going to have to prepare mentally. I'm going to have you dig into that in a moment, a little bit, give maybe a couple of steps. The second thing you said is they're going to need to speak from a level of confidence, which I think is powerful. And then number three, they're going to need to be ready to articulate the changes to the culture. What are the things that can remain that is in, in, in line with what the CDC is saying? And what are the things that have to be completely different? So let's talk a little bit more about the preparing mentally. Like, what does that look like? Do you have a, a couple of steps that maybe people will want to either A, do themselves or share with their teams in preparation to come back to work? Yeah, one of the things I've been advising my clients all along is if they have an employee assistance program, they really need to push that out so the employees can really take advantage of it. 
because everyone's in different phases. Like you said, they're in denial, they're in acceptance, they're angry, right? So it's different. We're seeing it play out in the media every single day, all of those emotions. And then the fact that we haven't been able to be social, that's a whole nother emotional disconnect that people are going to have to reignite again. And then what happens if someone sneezes in the office, right? right? What's the reaction going to be? That's a mental state. Like all of a sudden now they're the enemy. Um, You know, they want to get them out of here because they may have allergies. We don't know. So, you know, all of those things in terms of preparing mentally, we, we really need to start thinking about. And then, yeah, for the individuals, just really um, understanding and accepting the fact that things are not, this is a new normal. Yeah. And I, I, I liken it to what travel was like before 9-11 and after 9-11. And guess yeah. what? We all came along. We were upset. We didn't like the long lines and all the other crap that went along with it. But at the end of the day, now when I go to another country, if they don't have that same setup, I'm thinking, like, should I even get on this flight? Is this safe? You know? Oh my God! So how we, we adapted. Uh, that's like we went to Switzerland, and Switzerland was just like, doo, 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 like yeah. no big deal. And I'm like, well, y'all not gonna check my bags and make sure you don't need me to get my bags and check them in your country, even though I'm only gonna be here for a couple of hours. Like I get it, yes. Yeah. And we were complaining. I mean, I, I got TSA pre-check right away because I was like, I'm not staying yes. on long lines. But you're right. Oh yeah, I, I got everything they offered. Yes, yeah, we've been here before. And yes. I think that's what people are forgetting, especially if you're of a certain age. You remember what it was like when you used to be able to just walk up and buy a plane ticket that day with no bags and no one thought you were suspicious. Right. <laughs> it's like, I just want to get away. Okay, right. where are you going? Miami. When? Now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, you know, we have to remember that we're more agile than we think we are mm, and, and we're more adaptable than we think we are. And once we take the emotional part out of it and we understand that what a lot of what's happening is for our own safety, just like 9-11 and mm-hmm. the changes that the air important with travel, we have to start looking at it through that lens that, you know what, at the end of the day, um, I'm not stuck at home. I'm safe at home. Mm-hmm. And at the oh, end of the good. day, this mask is not, you know, um, to stop me from, you know, getting your germs It's to help me make sure I don't give you anything. Cause maybe I don't even right. know I have it. I may be asymptomatic. Don't know. But I think that's what we have to really, we have to start doing that mind shift a lot faster now, especially as you said, with the state starting to open up and, and things starting to quote unquote feel normal, but yeah. not really. Yeah, I think I think both of both of those quotes I wrote down that you just said were really good. We are more agile than we think we are. And I'm not stuck at home. I'm safe at home. Like I I feel like if we can get people to change their come from, if we can get people to look at the good that came out of this and the, the, the things that organizations and even individuals are doing now as a result of this, just being more cognizant, like. I've I've said this to many people and we'll probably chuckle about it too. When the virus first became popular, like in March, and they were like, make sure you wash your hands. I was like, I knew you were gonna say that. Washing their hands. Like, nasty. You nasty. Stop it. Stop it, you nasty people. Why are you why does somebody have to tell us to wash our hands? Right? Like, why is that so brand new? I don't get it. But anyway, I, I, but it, it's, it is, it's just realizing that it's, it's a shift. It's a shift in perspective, as you said, preparing mentally and looking at the good that comes out of it. I mean, I would, I mean, I haven't been in a cubicle in a long time, right? Because even when I left corporate America, I had an office with a door. But just to think that my, na- my neighbor would be two cubicles over, that makes me feel like I can spread out a little bit. Like this could be a good thing. <laughs> you won't be able to hear other people's conversations yeah. while you're having a conversation. You know what I mean? So yep. I think that there's more good that can come out of it if we really let it, which I think is important. So outside of asking what will my community look like, what are some other questions that leaders are going to need to ask themselves in order to prepare 
for the, the reconvening, if you will. I think it's also about having honest conversations about do they have the right people for this new workplace that they need to have in order to be productive and continue to hit their numbers, whatever those may be, or to just be profitable. So the things that were in place before, the policies, the procedures, the infrastructure, the technology, um, is that really going to work for the next two, three, four, five years? Um, Probably not. Um, so now let's look at that. So when I remember when the millennials started coming into the workplace when they graduated college back in like 2007 or so, and I started really paying attention because I said, this group is changing things mm-hmm. and I need to catch up with what they're looking for with employers. The, one of the first things employers started doing was bringing down cubicle walls because the millennials like to work in groups and teams right. because that's how they were always raised from elementary and, and all the way through college with group team projects, et cetera. So I remember when the, when the offices started to change because of millennials. Well, now the offices and everything about it is going to have to change because of COVID-19. Right. So thinking about, you know, when plexiglasses started coming down inside the banks and the post office and, and you know, your corner bodega, if you're in New York, you know, they got rid of those there. Well, guess what? They're coming back. So <laughs> the grocery store, they weren't there before. They're there now. Right. So, you know, just understanding like, okay, Based on where I need to take this business or or this company, do I a, have the right people with the right skills mm-hmm. um, to meet the demands now and how the, how these demands need to be met? Do I have the right infrastructure, the right policies and procedures, like all of that stuff? Mm-hmm. You know, from an HR perspective, that was one of the first things we had to tear down was our policies yeah. because they were they were irrelevant and null and void immediately. Right. Yeah, immediately. And then the government came and gave us some new ones, and then the ones we started thinking that were good, we had to throw those away and start over. And we're right. still evolving because the laws haven't kept up with the disease. Yeah. So we're, from an HR perspective, sitting there should be sitting there with the leaders, shoulder to shoulder, to say maybe not. Physically, but you know, virtually, yeah, virtually, (laughs) to say, okay, let's let's peel this onion back to this very core, and let's just really start rebuilding from there. And that's that's another thing leaders need to be looking at. Yeah, that's really really good. And again, just pulling on that question a little bit: Do I have the right people for this new workforce for what work needs to be? Like one of the the challenges that I had with COVID is, you know, in my office, it's just me and my executive assistant and her position is very physical. Like I need her in the space, not only to do the things that I don't want to do, but even to do the work that she does. So, you know, in in our company, when when we're onboarding new clients or working with clients, we're very tactile. We're very hands-on, have very high touch. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, like we, I might've brought on a new client and we send them this massive gift box in the mail that we, you know, we pull it together and put everything in the place. And we, I have this, this planner, um, that I created that is the bomb. I created it for my clients and my mastermind. And then it was so good that we decided we're not going to keep it to ourselves. And so now we're selling it. Well, she's working from home and I'm in the office by myself and I'm selling planners. Like they're going out of style. So I'm going, I'm, I'm the one who has to go to the post office. (laughs) And I'm like, Oh, I don't like this. (laughs) You're like, that's what I hired you for. (laughs) Right. Exactly. And so it's like, what do I, what do I need even yeah. if I can tweak that question for the entrepreneur is do the, um, the job description that I wrote for my team member previously, does it take into account what I'm going to need in this virtual environment? If you're not in a position to be able to bring a person back into your physical space. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm lucky enough that we have offices so we can be six feet apart. But I know some people that they have one room as their office and their That's assistant right. is just right in the corner. And that could not be enough, far enough away. Like, even when my assistant 
has been back to work. She came back in physically in the office this week. You know, she's got her mask on. I've got my mask on when we're interacting and we're passing one another just to make sure that we're, we, you know, we, I have got some of those um, stands with the, the pumps of the hand sanitizer. Yep. So there's one in each room. So at, at, at all times we can be sanitizing, like just those little considerations and things yep. that we need to think about to make sure that we're not missing anything and we don't put ourselves and then those who are working with us in jeopardy. Because the other thing that you didn't say, Dr. Tana, which I, I, I think it was an undertone of what you did say, though, is we have to also make sure as we look at the culture, as we ask ourselves these questions, that we're also creating an environment where our employees will feel safe to come in and still perform. Because the First and foremost. Why I think productivity mm-hmm. is going through the roof with people working from home is because they're in their own environment, their, right. their space of comfort. And so they're, we're asking them, some of them to come out of, you know, wherever they've been working, they've designated in their home and come back into a physical office, which is going to be a shock to their system. And have we thought through what their environment needs to look like so we can maintain the level of productivity that we were experiencing when they were working from home? Because it already like really surprised us that they were way more productive than we thought that they were. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. And and that's definitely, that's paramount, right? Because that's, that's top of mind for all of the leaders is wondering, you know, how do I bring people safely back into the office? Do I bring everyone at one time? Do I ask for volunteers first and then slowly rotate people in? Do I alternate shifts or opposite days in the office? So, you know, tons of different models I've been modeling and working with with my clients to figure out like, okay, this works for you, but not for them. So let's tweak this over here. Um, So yeah, definitely thinking about the safety because what they don't want to have happen, especially like for instance, here in California, where I'm based is that the state has now said that COVID-19 is a workers comp issue. Mm -hmm. So if someone comes back into the workplace Mm -hmm. and they've been home fine all this time and they come back in the workplace and they get sick, they're saying automatically it's a workers comp case because they caught the virus in the workplace. Wow. Yeah. Even though you don't know where they went from point A to B to get there, the understanding is they were fine at home. Right. Now they're back in the workplace and they're sick. So a lot of people need to, even entrepreneurs, cause I'm one too. You need to start thinking about that too. When you start bringing people back, I have more people around. You want to make sure and be mindful of they can go out on workers comp as a result of this. Yeah. Um, so like I said, the laws are not keeping up with the policies and the procedures and the things that made sense three months ago are gone. They make no sense now. They just they don't translate to this in the work world. Yeah, that's so good. Like I went to the doctors the other day and I was just going to pick up a, a prescription, by the way. I walk in the ward, they have like the little um, rotating door and I walk in and right immediately right there, there's like a welcome desk and they're like shooting me with the, the fever gun. And then they're like, do you have a sore throat? And do you, did you lose taste? And did you, have you a been in a checklist. virus? Like they're going through everything. I'm like, no, no, no. And I'm like, Lord, please don't let my fever be elevated. Like by any, cause I don't even know, like are people going to come out from the corners and grab me up, put me in a straight jacket. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. And I, when he, when he took the thing and he was like 98.6, I was like, Whoa. <laughs> oh, thank God. I just came to get a prescription mm-hmm. I'm in this piece. Like, yeah. but it's, and it's, I'm making fun of it. But at the same time, I also felt very safe knowing that everybody else mm-hmm. who was already sitting in that office while I was just going up to the counter to get my prescription, they had gone through the same process. Yeah. So I feel like it also part, probably part of your work is helping them to identify what are the new procedures that they're going to implement. Like, do they need to have somebody downstairs with the fever gun mm-hmm. checking temperatures before they even let them upstairs to the floor that your company works on or whatever the case might be. There's just so many different things that we need to consider. 
And as we're considering all of these things, we need to consider it through the lens of the individual, Mm -hmm. I think, so that if, if we... If we think it through from that level, then we're always going to be doing it for the best interest of everyone involved, as opposed to thinking of it from this higher level and then trying to trickle it down in Mm -hmm. hopes that when it gets down to the singular person, it still makes sense. It's not disrespectful and they still feel safe. So I think if we instead go from the bottom up, as they say, then that'll be a better approach. Would you agree? Absolutely. And I think that's where a lot of, that's another shift that's happening. That's where a lot of, at least the clients I'm working with, that's the way they're thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so whether it's a school that I work with or an insurance company or a biotech company, like they're thinking about it on, in terms of their frontline employees, like, okay, what's this going to look and feel like for them? How do we make sure that these policies make sense going forward? Um, how do we get someone out of here very quickly if they, you know, get in, come in here and they're sick or they get sick? Um, how do we make sure everyone else around them is protected? So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, everyone right now is, is operating almost like hospitals in triage, right? It's like they want to make certain that they can respond quickly, that they respond appropriately, that the, the messaging out to the employees is, uh, yes, from a level of confidence, but also from we know that you're probably scared. We're going to make sure that we do everything in our power to make sure that no one else here gets sick or you know, gets any symptoms. So yeah, it's scary for them too, because they're worried about bringing people back and being responsible for that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, it just seems like there's a lot of probably pressure, anxiety, and stress that people are going to be experiencing if they decide not to keep things as they are right now, because that's an option too, right? Every yeah. company, say, well, you know what? It's working. So why don't we just keep it this way through the end of the year and not, you know, what's the saying? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Let's not fix it because it's not broke. It's way better than we thought it to be because I think that, you know, that's a response to that might be the right response. Oh, I can name 10 companies that have already said it. Some some have even said, look, if you want to work from home permanently, do it. Because A, we don't know when schools and daycares are going to be back open again. And what happens if it opens up and there's a case outbreak and you got to bring the kids back home and start all over again. So they're like, you know what? There's no, uh, no cure. There's no, um, uh, what do you call it? Um, what's the thing they're trying to get everybody to take? Vaccine. There's no, um, they don't know enough about the antibodies for those who have it and those who don't. Can you take it from those who have it and give it to those who don't? Like they don't know. So there's so many factors here. And then with them predicting that it could be an outbreak again in the fall, winter. And yeah, a lot of companies are saying, why are we going to rush and bring everyone back in just to have to put them back out again, possibly? Like that's such a disruption in service. And you're right. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. So we've been doing this for how many weeks? How many months? Oh, okay. The numbers still look good. Uh, Yeah, we're good. We can keep doing this. Yeah. I think that that's a very, um, something really that everybody needs to consider. Like I know, you know, I've been working with clients to really help them. Many, many of my clients like me built their businesses offline through speaking and attending live events. And so, you know, their world got rocked when (laughs) their date started canceling. Right. I said to a couple of my clients, they would call me in a panic. I was like, you didn't get paid in advance. (laughs) Because I mean, because I had dates canceled too, but I had all my payments because my contract is very clear, like 50% to hold the date 30 days later, the balance is due. So it didn't matter. And now that the events are just, you know, being most of them have been rescheduled to 2021, Mm -hmm. which is perfect for me. But I'm like, okay, we need to tighten these policies that y'all have. Y'all should not be panicking. Y'all should actually be fine. And then a couple of mine turned them into virtual events, which was which was fine. But, um, but yeah, I had so many clients who like me, that's the way that they built their businesses. And now 
they're learn they're coming on to Zoom. You know, this is the platform I think of choice for most people. Yay! Shout out to Zoom. Zoom is making yeah. during the pandemic. <laughs> I invested in them early. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, but you know, but they're coming into the Zoom world, and like even us with our live event, I've done a live event at least one like large live event every year since 20, 2009. And so I was like, how are we going to do it? And so we did, a, you know, like I said, a mini, mm-hmm. and we used the breakout rooms and we, and it was phenomenal. Like yeah. the results were phenomenal. People who had been to my live events still felt that that community feel still mm-hmm. felt like their voice mattered, that they got to participate because of the breakout sessions, which was really, really yeah. powerful. So everybody is trying to figure out what the new normal looks like and making that decision. Cause you know, I have a re- very real decision to make about my live event, which is currently scheduled for October, right? Are we going to make it completely live? The answer is no. I think we will have, we'll probably make it hybrid. We'll mm-hmm. give once we, as we continue to hear what the CDC is saying and all of that kind of stuff and what we can have in the space to, to have the distance that's required at the six yeah. feet apart and all of that that'll determine how many physical people can be there, but then we'll start selling virtual tickets, which will open us up in a yep. whole new way because you know we might end up with a thousand people registered for the event That's and we right. would have never in the past, let's That's right. it's not speaking to our future, but in the past we wouldn't have had a thousand people travel to Delaware. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's just, if there, are, I think there are more goods than there are bads coming out of this and, and we just have an opportunity to go back to the one of the first things you said to really be um, transparent with ourselves about what it is we like about the chains because yeah. I think our, our natural inclination is to find something negative to say because it just seems like we should be complaining right <laughs> but why complain if we don't have to complain let's find something to celebrate yeah I think that if we do um, things will shift massively yeah. so Outside of looking at what my community looks like and making sure that I have the right people for the way we're going to be working moving forward, is there another question that I need to ask myself as a leader? Um, I think just, you know, what type of leader do you want to be in a new workplace, right? Because that's going to have to be a pivot as well. Mm-hmm. So maybe some of the, the things that work for you to get you to where you are now or before COVID-19 were great and sufficient. But you have to change, too, as a leader. So do you even have the right skills to do this adaptation and also be able to lead and innovate and motivate and engage the people to follow you in this new work work world? So that's another piece of the puzzle, too, is to do that inner work, um, to ask yourself those honest questions, get a coach, and then think about, you know, where are some of the gaps that you have? Maybe some things you were able to get away with in the in the person workplace, you know, because you had that energy and people could vibe off of it. Well, maybe not so much anymore. Yeah. Um, so what are you, what type of leader do you want to be? That's another assessment that I think all leaders should be looking at as well for themselves. That's good stuff. I like that. And it, it's very true. And that is perhaps the first question, right? Yeah. What kind of leader we want to be before we look at our community and make sure that we have the right mm-hmm. people. Cause you're going to attract more of what you are. That's right. If you haven't done the work you need it. And I really do hope, that the leaders that are listening have taken this re- this this break, this pause of reset to really evaluate themselves and do some self-care and some self-awareness and some introspection to make sure that they are really prepared to lead moving forward. I yes. think that there'll be some people who will come out of this and say, you know what? Hmm, I don't know if I'm cut out for leadership. <laughs> I don't know. If I didn't I sign up for this. Anymore, right? Like, no. 
off. I remember mm-hmm. when I left corporate America and I was at, at one point in time, I managed the efforts of others. You know, that's that total corporate speak, right? I managed right. the efforts of others. And then when I came out into entrepreneurship in my own business, part of the reason why I think it took me so long to bring on my first team member as an employee is because I don't want to manage anybody else's efforts. <laughs> that was like, ah! <laughs> I've met a lot of managers that told me I never wanted to manage people. How did I get here? Yes, yes, <laughs> I like you were good at your job. When I was in corporate America, that would have definitely been my question too. Because I didn't like, I was like, I'll manage processes. Like when it comes to yes. systems, listen, I'm your girl. There is no one who can help you tighten up your infrastructure better than me. But managing the efforts, of, uh, the personalities. They're like, nope, don't want it. Didn't sign up for it. <laughs> No, ma'am. This has been so, so good. I just want to give you an opportunity before I ask you our um, incredible factor, rapid wisdom questions. Anything else you want to share about, you know, preparing to thrive, continuing to thrive, to stand in your power? Because I, I, again, I just, I love the resonance of that phrase. And I think that's the part that's really going to speak to the people who listen to this episode. Yeah. Again, I think because we've had so much time to do some, you know, reflection and some self-care over these last, you know, umpteen weeks now. Don't even know how many at this point. Um, I think and I would hope that people have been able to have some honest conversations with themselves and that they realize that um, being human is okay. Mm -hmm. So perfection is not in demand at this point. We're all figuring it out. And uh, being able to relate to people on a human humane level and empathetic level means that you have to be able to walk in your own truth Mm -hmm. and have a level of transparency and authenticity that really resonates even in a virtual world um, so that people can relate with that because people want to work with who they know, like, and trust. And one way for them to do that is to really get to know you. And I think that's been a great thing about doing all the Zoom meetings is because, you know, like I saw your fur baby, you know, mm-hmm. people have been able to see people's kids and the kids, of course, you can't always control what they're going to do on camera. Right. And you can't control when they're going to say mommy or daddy. And, right. you know, and then they've been able to see people's homes in ways that they never have before. So, again, it puts us on a whole new level in terms of just being personable now. Yeah. So it's okay. I think it's okay. Hopefully leaders have seen it. It's okay to be personable, be likable, yes. be transparent, be your true self. I've seen CEOs that got on and, and played guitar for a team meeting and, you know, opens with music that he likes and people didn't even know he liked that type of music. So you're getting to know each other in ways that we never, ever would have in the office because we're so focused, laser focused on what we have to do and trying to get out of there. Yeah. And now it's like, okay, this is, it's not as scary as people thought. It's just to be your true self. Yeah, that's so good. Girl, look, we're supposed to be on our way out, but you don't say <laughs> two things that now we got to talk about. So, okay, let's go with this whole perfection is not in demand. Honey, Yes. I yeah. think you just liberated <laughs> thousand people. Amen. Just like that. You done gave them their freedom papers. Like, seriously. <laughs> you know, I, I, I probably should tell you I'm a little crazy. Perfection is not in demand. That is so good. Oh my goodness. It's so true. It's it's never been truer than now. Mm -hmm. I was literally just about to say, and it's never been truer now because of everything that's going on. And then the other thing you just said is that it's okay to be your true self. Yes. Listen, I think that it's going to be easier to work together 
Yes. Now we can, we see, we, I can see that you, you know, you like those little, those crystal uh, candle holders back there. Like I can see, you you know what I mean? Like like a little bling, (laughs) like a little bling. (laughs) You that they have never shown in the office. Right. Because it wasn't a growth period or it wasn't politically correct. But it is so essential that I know that about you so that I know how to relate to you. Boom. 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 That's a that's the secret sauce for how companies are going to thrive going forward. Yeah. If they can lean if they can lean into that and really learn to appreciate it and not try to make things back to where they were, yeah. they're gonna see so much more from their employees than they ever, ever anticipated. And I think loyalty is going to start to increase because they're gonna remember how they were treated during this period. Yeah. They're gonna see what it's like coming back. And they're like, oh, it's still warm and fuzzy and it's not scary, and that's okay. And yes, you can still give me critical or constructive feedback because I trust you now, because I know you have my best interests at heart versus right. I don't even know you. So who are you to come and tell me this? <laughs> and, and I take it personally. I take it at face right. of what it is that you're saying instead of getting defensive right, right away as you say it. Oh my goodness. That, that right there was worth the price of admission. That's so, so good so good tina oh my god like i just i feel like my mind is in bits and pieces (laughs) over my office because it relates everywhere if we can show our humanity so let's just just tell this quick story so i started saying this before we started recording that i hired a video brand strategist this year um and i hired him because everyone who knows me of course there's many people who don't know who i am but everyone who knows me knows the business acumen you know, how I show up, how I do, how I grow businesses or whatever. But very few people kind of like what you alluded to earlier, know your story. And it wasn't until five years ago that you really started telling your story. And I've told my story in bits and pieces. If you knew me, then you knew some of these things, but never on the level that we are telling it now. And the interesting thing and what you just said is what just brought this back for me. I've We've been working on a series of videos. So we've released two so far. And the third one is almost ready for release. And what people are saying as they're watching these videos is like, now I love you even more. Now I, okay. I get your drive. I know why you do what it is that you do. Now they they're, they may have been vacillating and thinking about hiring me, but now they're like, oh no, you're it. And I'm ready because I, they can see my humanity. That's right. So that's what I feel like that um, it's okay to be your true self is really going to do for people. It's going to not only set the leader free, but it's going to open the... Yeah the workplace up and the people on your team or in your department up to show up so much more powerfully right. than they ever would have had this not happen. And so I feel like we need to say thank you, COVID-19. Thank you. <laughs> I keep saying it. <laughs> yeah. Like we need to really pay homage and, and express gratitude for what has gone on during this time, because it's what is going to allow us to be more humane in our work day in and day yeah. out. Right. Which yeah. I just think is so juicy and powerful. Oh, that was good. That was like a, Last minute nugget, but it was good. Ooh, so good. Okay. So before I let you go, um, I do have to ask you my incredible factor rapid wisdom question. And so the first question I always ask is what is your favorite quote? My favorite quote? Mm-hmm. Quote, yeah. I would have to say, and I know it's cliche, but stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Okay. Because I live, I absolutely live by that. Yeah. And it's true. Like, I mean, yeah. I can think about the the times when at the last minute, someone was like, hey, can you? And I was ready. So I didn't have to figure out and fumble and all of that. So, yeah, I, I totally get that. And then the last book that you read? 
The last book that I read was uh, Tashishi Coates. How do you say his name? Tahishi Coates. Yeah, Tahishi. <laughs> yeah um, it was the, the water book. I read it for my book club when actually right before COVID happened, we were supposed to have our book club meeting. We did it virtually. So, okay. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. And then the last question is, uh, what is the one tool you swear by to grow your business? LinkedIn. Mm, okay. That's a first. Mm-hmm. LinkedIn. Awesome. 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 Dr. Tana M. Session, thank you so very much for coming to hang out with us. I have been blessed by what you've had to share. I believe that everyone who's listening, whether they work in corporate America, they're a full-time entrepreneur, or they're a parallelpreneur, will get value. They can remember to just ask themselves what kind of leader they want to be, tap into the kind of community they want to create, and validate that they've got the right people in the right seats on the bus for this new normal. Thank you so very much for That's being it. here. Thank you. It was fun. <laughs> All right. Are you feeling what I'm feeling? I told you it was going to be so good. That girl is bad to the bone. And what she has to share is so simple, but also so powerful. There were so many notes that I took during this conversation. And there are a few key things that I want to just kind of pull back on. And I love when she said this. She said, perfection is not in demand. I mean, can can I get an amen? Like, there is no reason for you to try to be perfect in anything, right? And I love this question. I've been asking myself this question as well. What type of leader do you want to be moving forward, right? We spend way too much time looking back to the things that we can't change when we have the ability to make things happen extremely differently going forward. And so I want you to vacillate on that as you learn how to take all of the tips that Dr. Tana shared with you to be able to truly stand in your power. If you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did, then I already know you're going to want to go and follow Dr. Tana everywhere you can. That's why we put all of her information for you in the show notes so that you can connect with her directly. I want to thank you guys for joining in. And I want you to remember that right now you have an opportunity to realize that you are more agile than you think that you are. I wanted to leave you with those last words from Dr. Tainer. I'll see you next time. Take care. Thank you for joining me for the Leverage Your Incredible Factor business podcast. If after listening to this episode, you know that it's time that you stop playing and praying small, you should go grab my Grow Your Business Toolkit. Based on the pillars of business optimization, this toolkit is the only resource you need to get crystal clear about what it will take to take your business to the seven-figure mark. Go grab yours today at growyourbiztoolkit.com. And if you enjoyed our time together, do yourself a favor. Head on over to iTunes, subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. Until next time. Remember, you deserve to scale your business, shake the planet, and fund the life you crave. Take care.